Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Open with me, if you will, to Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read from the 13th to the 25th verse. And I'm going to explain a couple of verses because they're a little bit difficult in the King James Version that I'm reading out of. So I'm going to explain a couple of things for clarity. In Romans 4.13 it says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the promise was made, but it wasn't based on his obedience to the law, which was the Ten Commandments at that time. It was based on his faith alone. Verse 14, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. So if the promise is only given to those who obey the law, which nobody could, that was the purpose of the law, to prove to you and I that we needed a Savior. We needed somebody to help us because we couldn't keep the law. So nobody would have received the promise under the law. He said, and if it was under the law, then faith is pointless. There's no point of faith. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. So the only way to avoid breaking the law is by there not being any law, is not having a law. Because if there's a law, you're going to break it. Amen? When it comes to the Ten Commandments and speeding. (laughs) Speed limit law. No, just kidding. Verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. How we say for by faith are you saved? Through grace, by grace. So to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, uh, we know Adam and Eve as our parents. Uh, Adam is the forefather of the human race, but Uh, The the NLT says it like this, verse 16. The promise is received by faith as a free gift. That's what grace is. And we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. Moses is the one who got the Ten Commandments up on the mountain. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. So uh, he's our spiritual father in the faith. Verse 17 says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's going to be our subject today. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, the word so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, in other words, he was strong in faith, he considered not his own body now dead 
when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not, he wavered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God promised him, he was also able to perform. That right there, verse 21, it gets you through a lot of problems. I'm telling you, a lot of circumstances. Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him, set aside for him for a future date for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him or set aside for him. But for us also, praise the Lord, to whom it shall be imputed or set aside for a future time. And that future time is after Christ was accepted as the uh, sacrifice for the whole human race. And we've since then had that time, so we are righteous in Christ. That righteousness has been given to us when it was set aside for us back in the Old Testament there during the time of Abraham, uh, we collected on it. Amen? When Christ died and made the sacrifice, we collected on that righteousness. So it's, it's not set aside for, uh, for us anymore. It's ours. Hallelujah. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. He did it for us. Amen. But going back to verse 16, it said, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. That's you and I the seed of Abraham, spiritual seed of Abraham, not to that only which is of the law or obeyed the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, the spiritual father of us all. So Abraham is a great man of faith. As a matter of fact, it's set forth in the Bible uh, that he is a primary example of faith. I would say the primary example or the premier example of faith except for Jesus Christ. We can't say he is the, uh, because Jesus is our example of faith. But he's a primary or a premier example of faith. And like I said, he's, he's referred to as the father of all uh, who are born again. In other words, he's our spiritual father. How? In the faith. He's our father in the faith. And so I believe we could learn something by observing Abraham's faith and how it worked, because Abraham copied off of God. Abraham seen how faith worked for God and how God operated faith. And he began to operate in faith in the same manner. And since we're his spiritual seed, we can operate in faith in the same manner that God did in the same manner that Abraham did. He said in verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him who he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead. So in other words, God brings dead things back to life. And that word quicken means to revitalize, to make alive, to give life to. It means that our God can resurrect dead things. He's a resurrector. Amen. He's a restorer. And, and how many believe he can, he can uh, resurrect some dead things in our lives? 
One of them would be some of those dreams that you gave up on and, and that dream that died. Amen? And he can, he can resurrect or quicken a dead pancreas that's not producing insulin. He can quicken a, a heart valve that's dead. He can quicken some dead brain cells. <laughs> uh, back in the day, I killed a few. Let me tell you, God has resurrected some of them. But he can, he can quicken dead nerves and dead muscles and dead tissue and all kinds of things. He can quicken them. He's a quickener and he's a, a resurrector. And Paul said that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So we have a resurrector inside of us. We have a quickener inside of us. Amen. And we can have some things quickened in our lives. I know somebody needs a quickening this morning. Verse 17 again, this is what I really want to get to. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. And the word and is a conjunctive word, which means that it joins something. It, it's, in this case, it joins two thoughts. It joins the thought before it and the thought after it. So he say one thing and then he says, and. So in other words, this is included in what I just said. And so let's read it uh, again. He says, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead. And then he says, and connect this with what I just said, calling those things that be not as though they were. Those are connected phrases. So calling those things that be not as though they were must have something to do with quickening the dead or quickening dead things or making dead things come back to life. Calling those things which be not as though they were must be involved in faith and it must be involved in bringing things back to life. You know how to bring that dream of yours back to life? Start talking about it. Start talking about it in the present tense. Start talking about those things that be not as though they were, and that dream will come to life again. Amen? You can give life to that dream. You can give life to that dead pancreas. You can give life to a heart problem. You can give life to uh, some tissue or, or nerve damage in your body or anything it is. You start speaking in the present tense, and calling those things that are not as though they were, and you can bring them back to life. That's what it's saying here. Hallelujah. Well, you say, well, that's, that's God's job. Only God could do that. No, Abraham copied off of God, and he did it. And we can copy off our spiritual father in the faith, Abraham, and we can do it. I'm telling you, we let our vocabulary go crazy. We let it get out of hand. We've lost control of the things we say. We're always speaking our mind, but your mind isn't always right. We should think before we speak our mind. And I know a lot of times when we start making confessions like this, people think, well, you're just lying. You're just lying. There it is. You can see it. And you're saying it ain't there. No, I'm not saying it's not there. I'm saying that I'm speaking it the way that it should be, the way that I want it to be, not the way that I see or the way that I feel. There's a big difference. 
So if God called those things to be not as though they were, and Abraham walking after God also called those things to be not as though they were, then maybe we should do the same thing because we're Abraham's seed. We should change our language. We should change our vocabulary. Quit talking negative and doubt and unbelief and start talking what God talks. Start saying what God says. Start saying that you are what God says you are. Amen? So uh, Paul said in the book of Galatians, If we belong to Christ, you're born again, then are we Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise? The promise that God made to Abraham. We are heirs of that promise. Jesus said we're not only heirs, but we're joint heirs with him. Everything that he inherits from the Father, we've inherited as well. He's our brother. So God and Abraham called those things which be not as though they were. So how many believe that would work for us today? I think it will. I know it will. I've used it before. And maybe not as much as I should, but I know it works. Amen? But let's go back and look at the actual promise that God gave to Abraham, the promise that Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 4. We'll find it in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17. It says, and when Abram was 90 years old, not Abraham, Abram, was 90 years old and nine, 99 years old. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him. Now, this is uh, translated in one of God's redemptive names. That word Lord was translated from the word El Shaddai. And El always means God or uh, Elohim. Uh, the one and only God. And then what, what follows is one of his characteristics or attributes. He's El Shaddai. And Shaddai means he's the God that's more than enough. Uh, the actual translation in the Hebrew says that he is the many-breasted one. That means that he can make uh, provision for more than one. Amen. He's many-breasted. He's got provision for everybody. He is El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough. And he appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am almighty God. That's another thing it means. Walk before him. What's it mean to say almighty? That means there's none more mighty than him. He's almighty God. He says, walk before me and be thou perfect. Uh, he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for you to live a blameless life, a faithful life and blameless life before him. If you can do that, then you're perfect. Amen? And I will make my covenant between me and thee. There's that word and again. What's it connecting? It's connecting Abraham walking before God in faith and being blameless. And then God says, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. That's the promise. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And it actually says in the, in the original Hebrew, multitude of nations. A multitude of nations. It's one thing to have a multitude of people, but he says a multitude of nations that has a multitude of people within each nation. That is a lot of people. 
It's, it's more people, his seed is more people than you can count the grains of the sand on the sea or the stars in the sky. That's a lot of people. That's a multitude of nations. So God just made some promises to Abram. And then he said, we're going to have to start calling you something that you are not. Calling those things which be not as though they were. We're going to have to start calling you something that you are not right now. And that's the way God works. And he still works that way because Malachi said he changes not. God hasn't changed. And then he says in verse 5, Neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. In other words, he's already made him a father of many nations in faith. And Abraham actually means exalted father and father of many. How many? Multitudes of nations. And so God didn't say, I will soon make you. He didn't say, I'm in the process of making you. He didn't say, I'm going to make you. He says, I have made thee already. So in God's eyes and in the eyes of faith, Abraham is already a father of many nations. So it's past tense, it's already done, and that's God calling those things which be not as though they were. That's God quickening something, that's God resurrecting and bringing life to something that was dead. That's what he does. And uh, that's exactly what he calls us to do. Speak life to people. Don't speak that, speak life. Call those things that be not as though they were, even though they don't look like that, Call them what God calls them. And that's a hard thing for us to do because we just programmed, brought up in a world that walks by sight and feelings. That's how people walk. They go according to what they see and what they feel. There's no faith in that whatsoever. But God wants us to have faith. In Mark eleven twenty two, he says, have faith in God. And, and, and in, the, in the original Greek, it says, have the faith of God. In other words, operate your faith like God operates his. And God would never tell us to do something that we couldn't do or something that is out of our reach. If he says we could do something or have something, then we can have it no matter how impossible or how silly it sounds or looks to us. If God said it, we can have it. Otherwise, he's a hypocrite telling us we could have something that we can't have. So it's hard for us to understand this type of language. We call things, well, we don't, this church doesn't call them like they used to, but we usually call things the way we see them. The world calls things the way that they see them. That's why our minds need to be renewed on the Word of God, because this is something that's not normal. This is, nothing, this is something that doesn't happen naturally. This is something that you have to train yourself for, renew your mind for it, discipline your mind for it, and do it. I think I told this story before, but years ago, before they had anti-lock braking systems, we had to train our drivers to do what we call stab braking. Paddywhack, you remember that. Most of you probably do. And uh, what stab braking was is if you're in a slippery road, whether it's snow or ice or, or rain or something, you have to apply your brake hard 
almost to the point of lockup or at right to the point of lockup. Well, how I know when it's going to lock up, it will lock up and you'll slide a little bit. Then you take your foot off the brake, regain your rolling traction, reapply it again, and you continue doing that until you come to a safe stop. And the reason we had to train them to do that is because the natural reaction was just slam on the brakes, and there you go, spinning around and in the ditch. So we had to train them to overcome natural instinct. And that's how you have to do with your mind. You have to train it to overcome natural instinct. Thank God for the anti-lock braking systems we have today. You just Because you go with the natural reaction, you slam it on, and the car's computer takes over, and it does all the stab braking for you. I don't know if you've ever had to slam them on with an anti-lock braking system, but uh, I, I have a couple of times, and when I did, it would go, do, 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 do. it sounds like something's wrong or something's broke, but it's not. It's the brakes applying and, and releasing and applying and releasing. And, and so this is what the Word of God, we have to do with the Word of God. We have to train our minds to overcome natural thoughts and natural things and do what's not natural. How I many knows God is not natural? He's supernatural. And so we have to train our mind to do supernatural things, not the natural thing or the nat- natural reaction. And it's hard for us to do it. It takes discipline. Uh, in other words, you don't wait until your body feels better before you call it healed. There's no faith in that. And, and we don't wait for the money to show up before we call our bills paid. It's easy to say my bills are paid when you've got a handful of money. And we don't wait until our loved ones are saved before we call them saved. Amen? You know, I've prayed for the salvation of some of my uh, lost family, lost loved ones, and uh, people that I know that are not saved. And after I prayed that prayer, I prayed for God to lift the blinders, send laborers into their harvest field with a fit word spoken to see all. Then after that, when they come on my mind, I thank God that they're saved. And they're still living like the devil, but I thank God that they're saved. What am I doing? I'm calling those things to be not as though they were. Because I believe they are eventually going to become the things that I've been calling them. Amen. But anyway, that's the way the world does. They're not going to say they're healed until they feel good. And uh, uh, they walk by what they see. They walk by what they feel. And that's what governs their life. They're calling those things that are because that's the way they look and that's the way they feel. And that's the way I'm going to call them. Amen. And that's not faith because faith doesn't walk by sight or feelings. It's easy to say you feel good when you feel good. (laughs) Try saying it when you don't feel good. It's easy to say your bills are paid when you have a pocket full of money. Try saying your bills are paid when you don't know where the next nickel is going to come from. It's easy to say you're healed when you feel sick as a dog. But that's what he's saying here. Call those things to be not as though they were. Don't wait until you're healed before you say you're healed. Say you're healed now. And and what you're doing is talking faith. See, faith calls it the way it should be, the way that God says it is, not the way you see it or the way that you feel it. And faith will stand up and call it the way it should be when all the circumstances are saying otherwise. Remember your training. I'm not going to go by what I see. I'm not going to go according to the circumstances. 
I'm going to go according to what God says. I'm going to go according to what they should be, not what they actually are. And when God says something is true, it's true. Amen. And all we have to do is agree with him. Uh, That's all it is. That's all faith is, is finding out what God says about it. Get in agreement with him because there's power in agreement. If any two on earth shall agree as to touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of our Father which is in heaven. Well, how much more if you agree with the Holy Ghost or you agree with Jesus or you agree with God, you agree with the Word, how much more will He give it to us? And don't say God ain't in the earth. He is. The Holy Ghost is here with us. God and Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is at his right hand, but the Holy Ghost ain't up there. He's down here with us. So we always have agreement. If it's just me and the Holy Ghost, we can agree on the word of God. Amen. And then uh, look what God did just a few verses later. In verse 15, Genesis 17, 15, he says, And God said unto Abraham, Abraham, Father of multitudes, father of nations, as for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. So he changed their names, both of them. And, and how many knows it's important because he just began calling them something that they were not, uh, so that they would become what he's calling them. And Uh, Abraham, I'm going to call you Abraham, a father of many nations. And every time somebody calls your name, it's going to be a reminder of who you are. Abraham, father of nations. That's what he hears every time somebody called his name. It reminded him of who he is. And and same thing with Sarah. Uh, Sarah, I'm going to call, or Sarah, I'm going to call you Sarah, a a mother of many nations, for a mother of many nations have I made you. That's what he told Abraham. He's, I'm going to call you Abraham, the father of many nations, because I have made you such. Have, past tense. In in God's eyes and the eyes of faith, he's already the thing that God is calling him. And it took another 25 years or so before it actually happened. So, you know, it's, it's important what you call people or what you call yourself, for that matter. It's important. Names are important. If you look in the Bible, every single name means something. God didn't name anybody just, you know, helter-skelter, happenstance, uh, willy-nilly, or whatever you want to call it. He had a purpose for everybody's name, and that name identified who he was going to make that person. Amen. And so we have to be careful what we call ourselves. Lord, I'm sick. I feel like I'm dying. My blood pressure is off the charts. I can't sleep. Don't say that. Well, I can't lie. The doctor said, well, but God said. Who are you going to believe? Let God be true. And every man a liar. Amen. God said by Jesus stripes you're healed. Yeah, but I'm just stating the facts. Yeah, well, there's a big difference between the facts and the truth. And I'm not telling you to lie about the facts. The fact is the doctor said you were sick. That's a fact. 
But it's not the truth because God says you're healed. So who are you going to believe? I don't feel healed. Yeah, but you got to start saying you're healed before you do feel you're healed. Before you do feel better. Hallelujah. Big difference between facts and truth. And why not say, you know, I might be sick. I might feel like I'm dying. But God is quickening me. And I'm getting better by the minute. That's easier to say than I'm sick and dying. Amen. And, and, you know, my blood pressure might be high right now, but I'm calling it to come down and be normal in Jesus' name. And I will lay me down in peace and sleep, for the Lord makes me dwell in safety. Psalms 4.8. So you can sleep. You, you may not feel sleepy. You may feel like you're a nervous wreck, but just keep saying, I will sleep, and I'll sleep in peace, and I'll sleep in safety, because God said I will. So uh, you're not really lying. All you're doing is saying what God said and then agreeing with him. You're just hooking up with God. And be careful what you say about your children, too. You're stupid. You're slow. You'll never amount to anything. You're going to fail eighth grade. You can't keep a job. Your kids will start believing that junk, and then they will live up to it. This works both ways for good and bad. You know, it's just as easy to say you are a sharp kid. You're smart. You can be everything God called you to be. My man King. I can always get an amen and hallelujah out of king. <laughs> uh, Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. In other words, you're going to have what you say, just like Jesus said in Mark 11, 22, 3, 4, and 5. You have what you say. And, and so we should watch what our tongue is saying. Amen? <laughs> you know, we have these so-called professionals, and they try to get you to accept things. Well, your child has a learning disability. Your child has ADHD or some other part of the alphabet. He needs to be on medicine. He needs to be on drugs. And the sooner you accept it, the easier it's going to be for you and everybody else. No. No, I know the one that made my child, and he said to call him heal. He said to call him normal. He said to call him quick and smart and able to do. And that's what I'm going to call him. You might have stated a fact, but I'm stating the truth. Hallelujah. My God is a quickener. He can change things like this, and he will change things. And I believe that my child is going to become all the things that God says he is and who I say he is because we're in agreement. Hallelujah. Amen. It's just as easy to say something good as it is to say something evil. So don't let someone put a label on your child because that's what's going to happen. They're going to label that child and that label is going to follow them through life. When they go to the next grade, that teacher's going to look at that file and say, this kid got ADHD. This is a problem child right here. Well, I'm going to keep him subdued because he's going to have to take his medicine or I'm not teaching him. He can go sit in the principal's office till the end of the day. 
No, Mr. Teacher, Miss Teacher, just do your job. He's being a normal kid. Kids act up. Amen? Don't expect perfect children. <laughs> Don't expect angels in your classroom. Uh, I mean, they're going to be a challenge because they're supposed to be a challenge. Take the time to teach them. Amen. <laughs> My buddy over there. I feel like preaching now, King. Now, you keep speaking over your children, saying the right things, and calling those things that be not as though they were. Amen. It's no secret. You know how I feel about giving drugs to little children. Uh, if they're sick and you're giving them antibiotics, yeah, I'm all for that. Don't give them mind-altering uh, drugs just to make them behave better. Let them sow those oats. You did it. I don't know how I made it through life, childhood and life, drinking out of water hoses and riding bicycles without a helmet and doing crazy things and swinging from porches and jumping garage roofs. I don't know how I made it to, to, to be as old as I am. I don't know how I lived through all that. Do you? And I'll tell you what my medication was. A belt. That's the best medicine in the world. That straightened me right up for a little while. Hallelujah. And sometimes the old-fashioned way was a backhand. I don't recommend that for nobody. You, if you got to discipline a child, you spank them on their little behinds. That's what it was designed for. That's why it's padded. There's no vital organs in that little behind there. Just light it up. They'll, they won't die. But look at Abraham and, and, and Sarah. What if they would have went to one of these so-called modern-day professionals and said, uh, listen, I need some prenatal vitamins. We're going to have a child. They would have laughed them right out of the office. Why? They don't understand things like that. You can't tell the doctor everything. Just tell him what's wrong. Uh, and you know, we're all for doctors. You need some medication, I'm all for it. You need some help, you need some pain relief or something. I'm all for it. Go to the doctor and, and tell him what's wrong. Let him diagnose you or tell him the symptoms you're having. Don't tell him what's wrong because that's what he'll run with. Tell him the symptoms. Let him diagnose you and let him give you a prescription. And if he gives you a prescription, you take it. Amen? And you, if he says three times a day for five days, you take it three times a day for five days. If you don't plan on doing that, don't go to the doctor. Don't waste his time. Don't waste your time and your money. Do what he tells you to do. He's trying to help you, but he can't heal you. He's going to relieve symptoms. He's going to uh, enhance your immune system with some antibiotics or something like that. But always look to God for your healing. Look to the doctor for help and relief, but look to God for your healing. That's like the Good Samaritan. They poured in the oil and the wine. That was modern medicine for that day. Amen. The wine was an antiseptic, or you call it an antibiotic if you want to. Some people take it all the time. But, and the oil was to help heal the wounds that he had. Amen. So there's nothing wrong with medicine and modern technology and doctors but don't trust them to heal you god's the healer he's the only healer 
But anyway, you have to be careful who you tell certain things because the devil has a lot of people out there that will give you a hundred reasons why it won't work. Amen? And <laughs> I'm so glad Abraham and Sarah didn't call it the way they seen it. Because if they called it the way they seen it, they would have never believed that they could have a child. Abraham over 100 years old now. Sarah uh, 100 years old or better. And, and going by natural, what they see in the natural circumstances, and going by natural law, there's no way they're going to have a child. They were past the childbearing age. But Abraham believed God and staggered not. But they didn't start out that way. Amen? Uh, and when, when God first told Abraham the promise, he rolled on the ground laughing. And, and when Sarah heard it, she burst out laughing in the door of the tent. So they weren't in faith when they first heard the promise. They thought it was funny. But they eventually did believe because uh, they realized that what's impossible with man is possible with God. All things are possible with God. And eventually they came in agreement with God and began calling those things as though they were just like God did, and eventually it happened. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have to catch my mouth every now and then. Maybe you all don't have to do that. But sometimes a four-letter word will slip out. How many know sick is a four-letter word? And it's not just a... It's just as profane as the one that you were just thinking of when I mentioned the four-letter word slipping out of my mouth. Poor is a four-letter word. Lack is a four-letter word. Weak is a four-letter word. Can't is a four-letter word. You need to watch the four-letter words that come out of your mouth. Call your body healed. Call your body strong. Call your mind quick and sharp. Call your mortgage paid. Call your loved ones saved, saved and do it before you see it. That's faith. Just believing it's going to be the way you're calling it. Call yourself strong in the Lord and in the power of his might when you feel weak. Like the song said, when I'm weak, you, you say I'm strong. It's when you're hurting the worst. It's when it doesn't look like you're going to make it. It's when your bank count is as low as it's ever been. It's when you feel the weakest. That's when you have to stand up and start saying, no, I'm strong. No, I am not broke. I am in plenty. The money coming. The money's coming. Uh, you can't wait until you start feeling better uh, or things begin to look better or when you have the money in your hand. You've got to start calling it in before it happens. And this is when we find out if we have faith or not. This is when we find out if we're really a doer of the word of God, if we really believe God's word. You know, if you're sick as a dog, can't hardly lift your head, but it comes up in your spirit by Jesus stripes, you're healed. You know you ought to get excited. If you really believe that you were healed like the Bible says you are, you would get excited. You would start rejoicing. Why? Because you feel sick, but God says you're healed, so you know you're healed. You know the healing is coming, the symptoms are going to leave, the pain's going to leave, the headache's going to leave, the fever's going to leave. Why? Because you believe God's word. He said you're healed, you're healed. 
And, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. Well, maybe you didn't try it long enough. Maybe you didn't try it often enough. And, and you know, a lot of times we wait until we're sick before we start confessing things. But you got to be confessing it while you're feeling good, while you're well, before you spend your last two nickels. You ought to be confessing it all the time and living a lifestyle like that. And then when it comes, you got a harvest built up. You've been sowing and sowing and sowing. You've been sowing to your healing, sowing to your finances, sowing to your love walk, sowing to this, sowing to that. And now when something happens, you got a harvest. You just go out there and cut you down whatever you need. Hallelujah. Say, I don't care what it feels like. We're not moved by what we feel. I don't care what it looks like because we're not moved by what we see. We're only moved by the word of God and faith. Amen. That's how God is moved by faith. So I'm only moved by the word of God and what God says. I call it this way and this way only and no other way in Jesus name. That's how we have to get. You have to get to that place where you're dogmatic about it. And, and having done all the stand, what do we do? We stand some more. Set your face like flint and refuse to be moved. And when you do, God will bring his word to pass in your life and you will have the thing that you've been saying. Hallelujah. Yeah, people think I'm crazy for talking like this. They're going to think you're crazy for talking like this. But I think people are crazy when they talk negative and doubt and unbelief all the time. That's crazy to me. Especially when it's just as easy to say something good. See, you can change your life today by changing what you've been calling certain things in your life. I have a troubled marriage. You sure do. I'm broke. You sure are. I'm sick. Yep, you are. And it's just as easy to say my marriage is on the mend. Getting better every day. The money is coming. I'm going to get that raise or that promotion. By Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. It's easier to say that, as a matter of fact, than it is to be all negative and full of doubt and unbelief all the time. Look at Hebrews 10, 23. I'm winding down. The writer of Hebrews, which I believe to be Paul, says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, or... Another word for profession is confession. Let us hold fast our confession of our faith without wavering. What did James say about a waverer? Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we can't be wavering. We can't be staggering. We stagger not. Amen? <coughs> Excuse me. We stagger not at the promises of God. So in other words, it's not going to happen by saying it one time. He said, let us hold fast the profession or confession of our faith. That means we must have to keep saying it and keep saying it and holding fast. And even though doubt is, and unbelief is coming from every direction, we keep holding fast to our confession. What are we confessing? The word of God. We're confessing what God says we are. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works 
How are we going to consider one another and provoke one another to love? He tells us in the next verse. Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You have to hold fast to the word that you've been confessing. You can't waver. You can't stagger at the promises of God, just like Abraham. You have to believe God is faithful. You have to keep coming to church. A uh, preacher just wants to get people in church so they pay tithes and he gets their money. And No, I want you in church where you can be provoked and encouraged and exhorted to love and good works. <coughs> Excuse me. How many times one of your worldly friends did that for you? How many times have they provoked you to good works and love? How many times have they encouraged you in the Lord? You don't get that thing out on the streets. You get that in the family of God, in the fellowship of one another. And you thank God for Facebook. Thank God for you people that are shut in. You're getting the word this morning. But you don't get it at home either. Amen? You got to get it here. Or any church. Any Christ-centered church. So we need fellowship with other believers. You might think you're an island, but you're not going to make it on your own, especially as the time of his return is drawing near. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this. There's a lot of people out there in Facebook land and social media land and podcast land that have left churches because they were offended because of something that was said, something that was done, or something that you didn't agree with, whether it was with the leadership or maybe another believer or something, and you got offended and you left church. That's not a good reason to leave church, uh, especially if you haven't started another church. And I'm telling you now, even if you go to another church, you're going to find offenders there. You're going to find things there that you don't agree with. You're going to find some leadership there that's not perfect. And... I'm going to tell you, there's no perfect churches. There's no perfect leadership. There's no perfect believer sitting alongside of you. You're not perfect either. Amen. <coughs> I mean, that's the reason that we're all here this morning. At least that's the reason I'm here. That's the reason I'm in church is because I know I'm not perfect. But I know someone who is. And I'm going to ride his coattails all the way to heaven. How do you plead? Guilty? But I'm covered with the blood. The one that I'm, that's representing me is innocent. And he died for me. He died in my place, in my stead, for my sins. He made me righteous, and I'm going to heaven because of him. But yeah, I'm guilty. I've been guilty all my life. But he made me not guilty. Hallelujah. That's, I mean, that's what uh, redemption is. It's as though we've never sinned. That's what atonement is, as though I never sinned. That's how God looks at me, because of Jesus Christ. So, no, we're not perfect. Get yourself back in church where you belong. Especially as you see the day approaching, and it's approaching rapidly. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, I'm going to close with this. Peter says, be sober, 
Be alert, be aware, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for somebody to devour, but it's whom he may devour. So he has to have your permission to do it. And verse 9 says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in the faith. How do you resist the devil? In the faith. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Same afflictions. Bad things happen to us just like they do to somebody in the world. We're not exempt from bad things. Faith doesn't keep you out of bad situations, but I'm telling you, it will get you through every bad situation if you exercise it, if you use it. These are dark days, my brothers and sisters, dark days that we're living in, and we have to keep the faith in order to resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. The key to resisting the devil is in the first part of the verse, Submit yourselves therefore unto God. We have to be submitted to God, humble before God, not in pride, because what does God do? He resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. So the more humble we are, the more grace we need. And we need grace. We need grace. That's why he said we can come boldly before the, the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find help in our time of need. You don't go before that throne in pride. You better be humble when you approach that throne or there's not going to be any grace for you. God's going to resist you. That's why nobody can make it to heaven according to the law. We needed a Savior. We need a Savior. Nobody's good enough to make it to heaven on their own by obeying the law. Because you can't obey the law. And, and you know, one illustration was given to us in Bible school. Uh, one guy said, I'm, I don't need Jesus. I'm going to make to heaven on my own. And he, he started climbing the ladder towards heaven. Good works, obeying the law, not doing this, not doing that, doing this, doing that. And one day he made it to heaven and you know what happened? He was so full of pride that God resisted him. He was so proud that he made it to heaven, God resisted him. And he slid right back down the ladder. You can't make it to heaven on your own. You need Jesus Christ. He is the way, the only way. Hallelujah. And besides, when you're out of church... It's just safer with the flock. A wolf very seldom attacks a flock. He follows from a distance, and when he sees a straggler, that's the one he gets. The one that's lagging behind, the one that's straggling, the weaker one, the one that can't keep up. That's the one he gets. Stay with the flock. Stay in church. There's strength in numbers. There's safety in numbers. And above all, start training this mind train your mind and then train this mouth start confessing and calling those things which are not as though they were i'm more than a conqueror he always 
gives me the victory. I, I, he always makes me triumphant. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't want for health. I don't want for money. I don't want for material things. He, he maketh all of my ways safe. Everywhere the sole of my foot treads, that hath he given me. Everything I put my hand to is blessed. Hallelujah. We got to start confessing what God says. <coughs> no evil will befall me, neither shall any plague come nigh my dwelling, because he's given his angels charge concerning me. I got angels uh, uh, that are concerned about my well-being. And he says, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. If I trip and fall, they're going to catch me. And I'm tripping and flopping and falling all the time. I know you all ain't, but I do. I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The Lord is my strength. It's easier to say things like that than it is to say negative, doubtful uh, things and unbelief. Just agree with God. Find the scripture that applies to your need and just agree with it. That's how simple it is. That's how easy it is. And even though you don't feel like it now, even though it doesn't look like it now, start calling it like it is. You hear me, Rody? You start calling it like it is. I know my Rody's watching. He's had all the prayer. He's had all the medication. Now he needs to start calling it like he wants it to be. So do you. So do I. These promises are for all of us. Amen. Some, some of us are walking them a little better than others because we hold fast to the profession. You know, it's one thing. You know, it's easy to hold fast to your confession while everything is going good. But as soon as you get hit with something... That's when our confession wants to change. But the renewed mind, the trained mind, and the trained tongue will not give in to that. It will maintain its confession even through the bad spots. All the time that you're confessing through the good times is just practice for when you hit a rough spot. Amen? You won't even have to think about it. I've been trained not to say things. I've been trained to say certain things. I've been trained, I, I want to slam them brakes on, but I've been trained to release them. I've been trained to apply them. I've been trained to release them. And so I'm not going to go with what comes natural. I'm not going to go with first thing pops into my mind. No, nope, my mind has been renewed. I don't have to do the things that I used to do. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. God, I know these... <laughs> Some of the things I said today will really sound like they're way out there for certain people, especially if they're not in the place where they've had some training in the area of faith. They've not been in the word movement or the faith movement, but I know your word is true, and I know how you operate, and you taught Abraham to operate that way, and Abraham's our spiritual father. We're his seed, and so we can operate the same way. And it may not happen the first time we speak it. But if we hold fast to the confession of our faith, I am confident. I'm fully persuaded. I will stagger not. I will waver not. I know it's going to come to pass. I know it's going to come to pass. 
And I know people that are going through some sicknesses right now, people in my family. And I'm telling you now, in them quiet midnight hours when you don't have anything to do, you're just laying there thinking, start thinking about what God says. Start quoting what God says. Start saying, I'm healed. Start saying the money is coming. Start saying, my children will do well in school. My children will do well in life. My children will do well on the job. They'll get the promotions. They'll get the raises. Start saying positive things and believe it in your heart. If you say it long enough, faith will come for that thing. And you'll see things start to align and adjustments start to be made until those things come to pass just like you've been saying them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what faith is. Faith is calling things the way that God calls them. Faith is saying things that God says and then just agreeing with what he said and holding fast to it. It may not happen the first time, the second time, the third time. You may stand in faith for months and sometimes even years, but don't quit, don't give up. Keep on saying what you believe you want to happen and it will eventually come to pass in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. We love y'all. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you. And remember, Jesus is Lord.